Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So, Happy New Year, church. Why don't you turn to the person to your left and tell them Happy New Year? Happy New Year. Now, the person to your right, say Happy New Year. And for those who don't know the left from the right, that's a resolution you can make. By a show of hands, how many of you stayed up till midnight last week to ring in the New Year? All right, yeah, quite a few. Olivia and Elizabeth love the fact that they get to stay up so late. And I've come to realize the difference between kids and parents on New Year's Eve. See, for kids, being a kid is when you are allowed to stay up until midnight. Being a parent is when you're forced to stay up until midnight. But seriously, it's an honor. Um, it's, it's quite a privilege, and it, it, it's entirely humbling um, to begin the new year um, with you as your lead pastor. So, thank you, Jesus. I'm thrilled to follow God's leading uh, alongside uh, all of you as he guides us into this new year together um, under his guidance and his leadership and his care. So here we are, first Sunday of 2024. The year stretches out before us like a blank canvas filled with the promise of new beginnings and filled with the promise of fresh starts. Now, we've all been there at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, filled with determination as we think about what our resolution is going to be for the new year. By a show of hands, how many of you made New Year resolution? And then how many of us are lying about making a New Year's resolution? Okay, and then by a show of hands, how many already failed your resolution. So we, anybody wanted, maybe we had like 20 hands go up at the first service. That's okay. We, we value honesty and transparency. Now, surveys typically show that half of American adults, about half, make resolutions um, at the end of the, the year before New Year starts. The biggest resolutions continue to be fitness-related. Um, it has to do with uh, people's resolutions to lose some weight, to uh, gain some muscle, to eat healthy, to exercise more. Um, some of the other resolutions, some of the other popular ones are uh, finance-related, uh, spending less, saving more. Some are related to habits, like uh, a resolution to, to quit smoking, um, to discover a new hobby. Maybe your resolution was to t attend church more in person um, or to connect uh, by joining a life group or a class, or maybe your resolution is to read through the Bible. We have a, a good group of us, uh, Bayside-ers, that 
every new year, we just kind of make it, uh, make a commitment to start reading through the Bible. And some of us started that like four years ago, and we're still making our way through the Bible, and that's okay. That's, that's good. If you just stay consistent with it, it doesn't matter if it takes you four years. And so the reality is that by the first week of February, almost um, everyone or the large majority of people have given up on their New Year's resolution. So I made a resolution this year. My resolution was to stop procrastinating. But I'm going to wait until next year to start. (laughs) I guess you could say that New Year's resolutions go in one year and out the other. Yeah, that was a a groaner. Sorry, guys, you're going to get a lot more of these now. (laughs) So in an effort to help people prepare themselves for 2024, NPR provided a list of 50 ways to change your life in 2024. Now, the editors on this list suggested some of the typical things, like finding a good book to read or starting a new healthy habit. They also had some Uh, Other not-so-typical resolutions, like making your home more climate-friendly or quitting your job. That's an interesting resolution. Or embracing your perfectionism or exploring your gender identity. See, I think one of the reasons we so often tend to quit our resolutions by the time February rolls around is because we start by asking the wrong questions. We start by asking the wrong question. See, we ask, what do I need to change about myself? What do I need to start doing? What should I stop doing? What can I start doing better? What can I do less? And all of these questions on and on. But see, these are all the wrong questions. If we really want to capitalize on the new year and view it as an opportune time um, to take a step toward change, then we need to ask the right question. And the right question is, God, what new thing do you want to do within me this year? See, in the midst of making resolutions for the year, there are deeper and far more significant transformations that God wants to do inside of us. Transformations not of our schedules, transformations not of our priorities, transformations not of our waistlines, and not of our debt-to-income ratio. It's a transformation of our hearts. As we embrace the year ahead, there's a renewal that God wants to do within each and every one of us. And so for the upcoming weeks, we're going to be in this series that we're calling Renewed. Because regardless of our thoughts on resolutions, the new year does present an opportunity for profound change. And God is always in the business of orchestrating new beginnings. He's always in the business of making change. So he's inviting all of us this morning to embrace the renewal that Jesus provides. So as we think then on this theme of renewal, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Here in Luke 19, we meet a man named Zacchaeus, a man who himself was also in desperate need of a new beginning. And as we unfold this narrative, let's let it challenge us to ask that question, to think, God, what new thing do you want to do within me? Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. 
So this is giving us uh, some of the narrative for Jesus. Is saying, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now remember, we're parachuting down into the middle of a, of a book here of the Bible, so it's important to understand the context. So in Luke 19, we're at the tail end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's already performed countless miracles and countless exorcisms. He's already made countless statements about his identity as God himself. So here Luke sets the scene for us by telling us that Jesus entered Jericho to pass through the town. Now this was the last major city that Jesus stopped before his final visit to Jerusalem. Well, his final earthly visit because, man, we're looking forward to the day he comes back. Now Jericho um, is in what is today known as the West Bank. Um, Here's a a picture to uh, the entrance of Jericho. This was uh, from when a group of us went in 2018, there were 48 Bayside-ers um, who took a trip to uh, Israel in 2018. This is one of the pictures right as you enter the city of uh, Jericho. Now, Jericho is a city with a very, very storied past. It's no longer the Jericho of Joshua's time with its incredible buildings and, and walls that had crumbled to the ground. See, the Jericho of the first century was was a hub of commerce and trade, and it was a center of culture under Roman rule, Roman authority. It was situated in the lush Jordan Valley, and the city was like an oasis of of prosperity. It was a melting pot of cultures and social tensions, and it was also a place of oppressive Roman taxes. So when when Jesus then chooses to pass through Jericho, he's not just taking a casual stroll through a wealthy city. He's stepping into a complex web of social, political, and economic tensions. And it's here, in Jericho, where Jesus meets one of the chief tax collectors, a man named Zacchaeus, a man who personified in himself the corrupt political system of the day. Luke 19, verse 2. Luke tells us, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So Zacchaeus here is described in some pretty significant ways. He's not just any resident of Jericho. He's the chief tax collector there, and he's rich. And we also know that he's a Jew. Now what this means is that Zacchaeus worked for the Romans, collecting for them the ridiculously oppressive taxes that um, all of the the Jews had to uh, pay. And as many of the tax collectors did, Zacchaeus would have overcharged his fellow countrymen on their taxes, and he would have pocketed the rest. And that's how these tax collectors got rich. See, though he was rich, he was despised by his people as a traitor. Being the chief tax collector, he was viewed with the greatest contempt. He was seen as a symbol of corruption and betrayal. See, in all of Jericho, Zacchaeus would have been the least likely candidate for a spiritual awakening, for spiritual renewal. See, by focusing then on Zacchaeus and by mentioning his status and his occupation, Luke here is inviting us into this story of gracious renewal that reaches the unlikeliest, most unusual person of all. And we're being reminded here that in God's kingdom, no one is excluded. No one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. So Jesus enters Jericho. 
the town where Zacchaeus is the tax man. Now, I'm sure by now Zacchaeus has heard all the stories of Jesus. I'm sure his, uh, his curiosity and interest are piqued by Jesus. He wants to see this one whom the crowds have been calling the Messiah, and the one who's been creating all this stir in Israel for the past three years. So verse 3, Luke 19, 3. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Now, I love how this verse gives us a glimpse into Zacchaeus' inner world, right? He's not just a passive, um, uh, a, a passive actor here in, in the story. He's actively seeking Right? He, he's active in his pursuit. His desire to see Jesus speaks volumes about his heart and about the state of his mind. See, despite his wealth, despite his status, Zacchaeus feels empty. He knows he's missing something. He's looking for something more, something greater, something deeper. He's longing for something to fill that void inside of him. So he sets out to see Jesus. But he runs into a problem. And the problem is that he's short. He can't see beyond the large crowd that gathered. Why did everybody look back at Pastor Joe when I said that? <laughs> Zacchaeus's physical stature mirrors his spiritual state. He falls short. He's lacking. He's physically unable to see over the crowd. And spiritually, he's unable to see Jesus, his choices, his, his profession, his inflated sense of self, his sin. All of these have kept him from a clear view of seeing Jesus for who he is. But he's determined. See, he's not about to let his, his lack of height keep him from seeing this one people have been calling the Messiah. Verse 4. So what does he do? So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, who remembers that old Sunday school song? Now, come on, some of you have already been thinking about it and humming it since I started this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Come on, sing, you get points. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Yes, you guys did great. That was excellent. Uh, no openings for vocals, though. Sorry. <laughs> so in this verse, we see a determined Zacchaeus. See, he's unable to see Jesus because of his stature, but he doesn't just give up. He doesn't just resign himself to his limitations. We're told first that he ran on ahead of the crowd. Now, this is significant because Middle Eastern men in the first century did not run. Jogging and running, like that's like, a more modern thing, unless you were like in the ancient Olympics, you did not run. Running was for children, especially if you're a rich government official, you're not running. But you know what else is for children? Climbing trees. Climbing trees is for kids. Now, if you go to visit Jericho today, you'll see right in the city center, there's this uh, tall sycamore tree, I have a picture of it, and they call that the Zacchaeus tree. Some claim that it's actually the tree Zacchaeus climbed. I think it's just a way to just get a little more money from the tourists. 
Um, besides, I looked and I didn't see a marking anywhere that said Zach was here. <laughs> but there's a picture here of the group gathered around uh, doing a devotion and a time of worship. And what an awesome trip this was. By the way, there's also um, an upcoming trip in October of this year um, going to Greece. Uh, we're taking a trip on uh, the journeys of the Apostle Paul, kind of following all the places, a lot of the places in Greece that he visited during uh, one of his few uh, missionary trips. Um, and there's like, we have up to 48 spots for that. We have a little over 30 registered. So if you're interested in that, uh, check out the app or uh, find Chris Jackson. You could uh, find out some more about that. We'd love to have you join us. So understand, though, that for a wealthy chief tax collector, Running and climbing would have been absolutely undignified. His actions go against all of the social norms of his day. But they're telling. His actions are very telling because his actions tell us of his desperation and his determination to see Jesus. In his running and in his climbing, he's shedding off his layers of of sin and self-centeredness and pride and social status. He's going out to meet Jesus, not As the chief tax collector, he's going out to meet Jesus as a humble seeker. And then verse 5 brings us to a pivotal moment in the story. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. See, as Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus was, he walks right past him. No. What does he do? He stops. He doesn't just walk right past him. He stops. He looks up and he acknowledges the man in the tree and calls him by name. In the massive crowd of nameless faces, Jesus focuses on the individual and Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, the one in the crowd who we would consider the most undeserving of a new beginning, the one we would consider most unworthy of a chance to be made new, he's invited by the creator made flesh to experience a total and complete transformation. And Jesus tells him, hurry, come down from the tree because today I must stay at your house. Now, literally, Zacchaeus needed to come down from the tree to meet Jesus, But figuratively, Zacchaeus needed to come down from the tree. He needed to lower himself. He had to humble himself. He had to bow his heart to the authority and leadership of Jesus. See, and the words of Jesus here highlight the sense of urgency that Jesus invites you to. When he invites you to a life of fellowship and and transformation and communion with him, he says, hurry, hurry. Hurry, don't delay any longer. Come down from your place of hiding. Step out from behind your place of shame and guilt and fear. Step out from behind all of these things that are keeping you. I, the sinless Savior, am inviting myself as a guest into your house, the house of a sinner. Welcome me into your home. Welcome me into your heart. Which leads to one of the important truths that we learn in this passage. Here's the first important truth that we learn about renewal, is that in our renewal, Jesus always leads with the first step. In our renewal, Jesus always leads with the first step. Think of Zacchaeus. He was the master of his own world. He climbed the ladder of his career. He accumulated insane amounts of wealth. 
He was a man who was used to taking the first step himself. Zacchaeus was a man of initiative in both life and business. But not this day. See, this was no ordinary day for Zacchaeus. It would have been just an ordinary day had Jesus not decided to pass by through Jericho, but he did pass through Jericho. It would have been just an ordinary day for Zacchaeus had Jesus walked right past the sycamore tree, but he didn't. He stopped and looked up and called him by name. Jesus took the initiative. So maybe it would have been just an ordinary Sunday for you had Jesus not drawn you to church this morning or had you not accepted the invitation of your friend. Maybe it would have been just an ordinary Sunday for you today if you haven't heard and felt the knocking on the door of your heart by Jesus this very moment calling you to experience his presence and his transformation. See, in your renewal, Jesus always leads with the first step. And just in case you think you're too used up to be used by God for some reason, we see a second important truth that we learn from this passage. And the second important truth is this, that no one is excluded from renewal. No one. See, the encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus was not just a a casual accident. It didn't just happen. It was a deliberate demonstration of God's inclusive grace. See, had you asked Zacchaeus that morning when he woke up before Jesus stopped by Jericho, had you asked him if he thinks God would welcome him into his kingdom? I think he would have answered no. I think he would have said, no, absolutely not. I'm a tax collector. I'm too short. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm despised by the Romans, and I'm rejected by my own fellow countrymen. No way God would invite me into his kingdom. But had you asked him that question after his encounter with Jesus, I think he would have said, yes, I am all of those things, but God. God invited himself into my heart, into my home and brought me his kingdom. See, so we're reminded here that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is beyond the reach of his mercy. No one's beyond the reach of his redeeming love. No one is excluded from renewal. Every outcast soul, every heart that's been burdened with the weight of rejection is invited by God to be redeemed. Every outsider Every single forgotten face, every person with a rotten past, every single one with a bad reputation, God invites everyone to be renewed, just as he did with Zacchaeus. Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. See, Zacchaeus gets an opportunity to host God in the flesh as a guest. So what does he do then with Jesus' command? Let's pick it up in verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus responds immediately and enthusiastically to Jesus. He hurries down off the tree, so eager to take Jesus up on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't deliberate. He doesn't procrastinate. He responds to Jesus immediately revealing just how ready he was to leave behind his old life and exchange it for a new one. And Zacchaeus then finally, finally finds the joy that has eluded him all of his life. 
It says he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received Jesus with a a joy-filled heart of gratitude and awe. Despite being a social outcast, Zacchaeus was seen and known and loved by Jesus. He found a joy that transcended his wealth, one that was greater than his status, a joy in his spirit, a peace in his soul, right? Those invisible parts of us that actually make up who we are, that God-shaped hole inside of us that we try filling with anything and everything but God. That's where Zacchaeus found joy and contentment. So he receives Jesus into his home and into his heart. But we can't forget about the crowd there, right? They're witnessing all of this. So what do they think? How are they making sense of all this? Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, The crowd complains. People complain. Can you believe that? They huff and puff and they wonder how the Messiah could mingle with the likes of a thief like this. But they completely miss the point. Actually, they miss two points. The first point that they miss is they miss the fact that this is God's heart. This is exactly what God does. He goes after those who are far from him. He reaches out to those who are weary in spirit. He reaches out to those who are beat down by adversity. That's the heart of God. He chases the sinner. He chases the reject, the outcast, the lowest, the meanest, the worst, and the least. And then there's a second point that they miss. The second point that they miss is that they think they're somehow less sinful than Zacchaeus. See, they judged him based on his greed, based on his corruption and his deception, all the things that they were able to see with their eyes and, and that they experienced um, at, by his hand. See, but they forgot. They forgot that God doesn't just look at the outside. God knows what's in man's heart, as it says in Samuel. See, he sees what others don't. He sees the lust. He sees the pride. He sees the rage. He sees the anger. He sees the cheating. He sees the self-centeredness. He sees the narcissism. And based on his perfect knowledge of our imperfect selves, we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. So, Zach's story isn't done yet, though. His transformation is only just beginning. As the narrative Zooms in again on Jesus and Zacchaeus. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, Zacchaeus verbally expresses his repentance, and then he takes actual steps to demonstrate that repentance. He says to Jesus, behold, Lord. He's recognizing the authority of Jesus and he's submitting to his lordship and his leadership. He then demonstrates his changed and renewed heart by promising to give half of his possessions away to the poor. See, he shows a heart that's moved from greed to generosity, one that goes from taking to giving. And then he pledges to restore fourfold to anyone that he's cheated. Now that is significant because Jewish law only required that um, you pay back what you stole and then you add 20%. So it 
So he was required to find about 120% by law of everything he cheated uh, some of the people with. But instead, he goes well beyond this, fourfold. He takes the 120% and says, I'm going to give 400% back. See, he's proving here that Jesus really did transform him. See, before meeting Christ, before his encounter with Christ, Zacchaeus viewed his wealth and his status as a means to build up his own little kingdom, his own kingdom of Zach. But after meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus saw his wealth as something that was entrusted to him by God, something that God wanted him to use to serve others and to build God's kingdom, not his own little kingdom. And realize it wasn't the change in Zacchaeus that saved him. It wasn't his change and then he was saved. Jesus saved him. His transformation was a, re- was a result of, of a response to Jesus' salvation. It wasn't the cause of his salvation. See, and Jesus then fully endorses Zacchaeus' response here. Verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Lord had reclaimed a once lost child. Zacchaeus has now truly become a son of Abraham, a phrase that the Apostle Paul later uses to um, refer to all children of faith, all followers of Christ. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. See, Zacchaeus, the sinful tax collector turns into Zacchaeus, the generous saint. The only difference between him there and him there is Jesus. He experiences salvation. He experiences renewal. He experiences acceptance by God, not just as a future promise, but as a present reality. Transformation and reconciliation with God are accessible here and now. Today, salvation has come to his house. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is in the business of seeking out and bringing salvation to those who are spiritually wandering, to those who are marginalized, to those who we would otherwise deem as irredeemable. Jesus is in the business of bringing renewal to each one of us this new year. So the last half of our passage that we looked at, that brings forward two more important truths about spiritual renewal. We saw that in our renewal, Jesus always leads with the first step. We saw that no one is excluded from renewal. And then the third truth that jumps at us from the pages of Scripture is this, where renewal blossoms, joy follows. Wherever renewal happens, joy is going to follow suit. See, we can't lose sight of the fact that Zacchaeus' transformation brought him from a place of loneliness and misery to a place of acceptance and joy. See, when he was immersed in his worldly pursuits, any happiness Zacchaeus had was the fleeting kind, the kind that's based on external factors that always change and always shift. It was a worldly happiness that ebbed and flowed with the unpredictable tides of life. It was a happiness that was linked to his material wealth and to his status and to his possessions. 
But when he encountered Christ, everything changed. Zacchaeus exchanged the fleeting, circumstantial joy of the world for the deep, lasting, unchanging joy of Jesus. He came to know firsthand the otherworldly, supernatural joy that's rooted in the person of Christ. That steadfast joy that persists and endures through all trials and challenges. The joy that transcends all the temporary highs of worldly success and possessions and recognition that we get. And the point here is that if you really want to experience fulfillment, true, lasting joy, peace, and contentment, you have to look to Jesus. You have to. The best that the world can offer is a cheap knockoff of what Jesus offers. What Christ offers is a joy that's lasting because it's a joy that's anchored in his eternal love and in his eternal character. Where joy, where renewal blossoms, joy follows. Joy always follows renewal. And then there's a fourth and final important truth about renewal, about experiencing renewal, and that's this. Four is a renewed heart, is a repentant heart. A renewed heart is a repentant heart. Now, repentance is a word that we hear less and less in our day. To repent um, means more than just uh, feeling um, guilt. It means more than just feeling remorse. To repent means to have a complete change of direction, a 180, to turn from something to something else. So it means to turn away from doubting and, and disbelief and to turn toward faith. And belief, it means to turn away from sin and self-centeredness and turn to the Savior and His goodness. So what Luke 19 teaches us then is that repentance involves both confession and action. Zacchaeus acknowledges his wrongdoing, the confession part, and then he puts some steps in place to rectify that. That's the action part. See, his confession of Jesus as Lord, followed by his promise to give to the poor and to repay all those that he stole from, these are all clear demonstrations of a person um, who's experienced repentance. See, so these verses reveal that a key component in renewal is repentance. The moment that we encounter Christ and confess him as Jesus and Lord, we repent from our disbelief and rejection of him, we turn to accepting him, believing in him. That's our first step of repentance. And then he begins transforming us. He redeems us. He renews us. And under the influence of his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to turn away from sin and to embrace a life lived in alignment with God's will. So there we have four important truths about experiencing renewal in the new year. One, in our renewal, Jesus always leads with the first step. Two, no one is excluded from renewal. Three, where renewal blossoms, joy follows. And four, a renewed heart is a repentant heart. So here's the bottom line. Here's a way to summarize all of this. To experience renewal, you must embrace Jesus. It's that simple. To experience renewal, embrace Jesus. Jesus. And this principle here applies to everyone, to both unbelievers and believers alike. Right? For the unbeliever, maybe you feel like a Zacchaeus, perched in a tree, distant, observing from afar. 
Maybe you feel unworthy or weighed down from your past mistakes or unsure if Jesus even has a place for you in his kingdom and in his story. But remember that Jesus always takes the first step toward you. Always. He's calling you down from your tree. He's calling you down from your place of worry, your place of isolation, your place of fear, your place of shame, your place of regret, whatever it is. His call to Zacchaeus is his call to you, a call that says, I see you. I know you. I love you. I'm here for you, and I desire a relationship with you. See, if you embrace Jesus by receiving him into your heart, just as Zacchaeus did, you're not just accepting forgiveness, you're stepping into an entire life of renewed purpose and joy. You're acknowledging that Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life you couldn't, and that he died the death that you deserved, and that he rose again in victory three days later over our greatest enemies of sin and death. See, this confession is where your renewal begins. But what about for us believers? What does it mean for us to experience renewal? See, for those who have been walking for, with Jesus for some time, to embrace him may mean to renew or to deepen your journey of renewal with him. It might mean to repent of your spiritual complacency or spiritual apathy. Because on this side of eternity, we're never going to reach the pinnacle of spiritual growth. So our renewal is a continuous journey. Maybe for you it means that you're going to commit to going through the rest of the year not asking the wrong questions of what do I need to do, what should I do, what do I think is best for me, but maybe asking the question, God, what do you want to do within me in 2024? Maybe it looks like deepening your reliance on him. Or learning to live daily in his grace. Maybe it looks like reaching out in love to the Zacchaeus who lives next door to you. Or the one who works in an office across from you. See, because in both cases, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, the call is the same. Embrace Jesus. For in Jesus is the catalyst for true renewal. A renewal that transforms sinners into saints, that brings people from darkness into life, that transforms them from death to life. So as we step into the new year, let's embrace Jesus with all of our hearts, and let's watch as he leads us into a renewal that is going to be so much better than our own expectations and our own resolutions. Let's pray. For those in this room who've not yet taken this first step in your journey of faith, I want you to consider this moment as your personal invitation. Understand that God in Christ is reaching down to you. He's offering a relationship with you based on his love, based on his grace, based on his work. So just pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words that bring us into a relationship with the God. It's an honest desire of our hearts. So if you want to start this journey with God, just echo these words in your heart or, or quietly with your lips. Dear God, I recognize my need for you. I believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me. 
I receive your forgiveness for my sin and failures. I accept your invitation to a new life with you. Please come into my heart and begin to lead me from this day forward. And Father, for those of us who have been walking with you for a while, God, show us the new thing that you want to do within us. Teach us to walk in humility. Teach us to walk in the love of Christ. Lord, being a force for good and a beacon of of hope and light in our evil, hopeless, dark world. Father, to you be the glory and honor of now and forever. All God's children said, 